if I die tomorrow, at least people will know that's my version of what happened. On October 16, 1991, a gunman entered Luby's Cafe in Colleen, Texas, where he opened fire, killing 23 people and injuring 27 more. And all of a sudden, this truck came barreling through the front floor-to-ceiling window, and then we heard gunshots. Remember, back in 1991, these things weren't happening back then like they are now with the frequency. So it just simply wasn't the first thing that comes to mind that this guy was just going to walk from one person to the next and execute them. He said they saw, it was pandemonium at that point, They bodies everywhere. And they said they saw a woman on the floor, on her knees, cradling what was clearly a mortally wounded man. And they said they saw this 30-something-year-old young man walk up to her. They said she looked up at him. He put a gun to her head. She put her head down, and he pulled the trigger. But that was that was my mom. And, uh, you know, it didn't occur to me as I was running. Um, she and my dad had been married uh, 47 years. They had just had their 47th wedding anniversary, and she wasn't going anywhere with that. See people wanting to enact gun control, I take it much more personally now. As it comes around the room, as he levels his weapon on your two-year-old grandson's forehead, even if you've chosen not to have a gun at that point, don't you hope the guy behind you has one and knows how to use it? How you guys doing? I want to thank you for tuning in to our very first episode of The Voice of Reason with me, Rob Young. I'm your host. On today's episode, we have Dr. Susanna Huff. She's a Texas native. She's a wife. She's a mother, doctor of chiropractic medicine, former state representative for the great state of Texas. And let me say, my family's yeah. from Texas, so I got a lot of love for, for your state. Um, these are just a few titles that we can use to describe you. You've done some incredible things over the years. And uh, I just want to say thank you to begin with for being my very first guest on my show. Uh, so for I'm our, excited. Thank you. I, I'm excited, too. And so for our viewers, Susanna and I share some some things in common in regards to surviving two horrific mass shootings. Uh, both incidents carved out groundwork for gun control legislation, not only in our states, but in our country. Uh, however, Susanna and I believe, um, you know, we. We both don't necessarily subscribe to what most people would think that we do when it comes to the Second Amendment and the importance of people being able to protect themselves, uh, not only in their everyday lives, but in times where they may find themselves in a situation like ours. So many of you already know my story, but you may or may not know hers. So I'd like to turn it over to you. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I, I think it's important to note that I didn't grow up in a house with guns, but I did grow up in a house where my father was an expert on the founding of the country. And so I was steeped in uh, understanding of what the Second Amendment was for. Um, at that time in the state of Texas, we didn't have concealed carry. You could carry a gun in your car uh, under certain circumstances. So this was back in 1991. Golly, that was <laughs> that's a long time ago, isn't it? Um, it was in October, and my parents and I uh, were going to a local cafeteria, middle of the day, going to have lunch with a friend of mine that was managing the cafeteria that day. Beautiful day. 
Uh, in fact, it was boss's day and it was the day after payday. So the place was, was packed. Um, we ate, we ate lunch with my, my friend that was the manager, Mark, and we were finishing up and just kind of piddling around a little bit. Um, he got up and went into the kitchen to check on things. And all of a sudden this truck came barreling through the front floor to ceiling window. It was clearly an accident. You know, he knocked over a number of tables as the, as the pickup truck came, came barreling into the restaurant and it uh, came to rest fully in the restaurant. So a good 15 feet in. And, um, I, I remember I started to get up and, and go help the people he had knocked over because tables went flying, chairs went flying, people went flying. And, and you're convinced it's, it's an accident. And then we heard gunshots. My father and I immediately got down on the floor and put the table up in front of us. Uh, we, had our, we had our backs to a uh, window and wall. Um, I can remember thinking, kind of peeking up over the top of the, the table, and I remember thinking, all right, he's going to say something like, uh, you know, everybody put your wallets up on the table. I, I mentioned that it was boss's day and the day after payday, so, so you know, you figure that's what, what it is. And remember, back in 1991, these things weren't happening back then like they are now with the frequency. So it just simply wasn't the first thing that comes to mind that this guy was just going to walk from one person to the next and execute them. Um, I certainly didn't. The term active shooter really wasn't a term back then. That's, that's correct. And so uh, we heard the gunshots. He was on the other side of the truck from me, so I couldn't really see what he was doing. And then I saw him. I remember also thinking that maybe, maybe it was a hit. You know, maybe there was somebody important in there, right? And I remember seeing him walk around the front of his truck, and I, I, I clearly remember seeing him take aim at somebody on the floor and pull the trigger. And then he went to the next person and took aim and pulled the trigger. And that was when I suddenly realized, oh, my God, this guy is just here to execute people. And he was maybe 15 feet from me at that point, and I thought, I got him. I got him. Realized my, my dad and I are down, got a table up in front of us. Mom is down behind us, and I reached for my purse that was on the floor next to me because I always carried a gun with me. And as I mentioned, at that time in the state of Texas, it was illegal, but I had been convinced by numerous people, including an assistant DA in the Houston area, to carry. So I reached for my purse and realized that about three months earlier, I had made what was clearly the stupidest decision of my life. I had begun leaving the gun out in my car uh, because, you know, like most normal people, I, I mean, you figure, what are the odds, right? If, if I needed a gun, it was going to be if my car breaks down on a back road. It's not going to be in the middle of the day in a crowded restaurant, at least not back then. So uh, when I realized the, the gun was out in my car, I remember thinking, well, great, what do I do now? Throw, throw my purse at him? Um, I, I looked at salt shakers. I looked at you. You can't go up against a guy with a gun with a salt shaker or your butter knife. That, that doesn't work. So, and I've, and I've had people ask what I think are kind of stupid questions. They say, well, do you think you could have pulled the trigger? And I think to myself, my God, what kind of person wouldn't have pulled the trigger? And I'm not an expert shot by any stretch of the imagination, but but I've hit much smaller targets at much greater distances. Everybody in the restaurant was down. He was up. 
Like I said, he was maybe 15 feet from me. Um, when I realized I didn't have that gun, though, I, I, my attention turned to my father next to me. And he kept raising up and kept saying, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. He's going to kill everybody in here. And I remember grabbing him by the shirt collar and trying to hold him down and, and saying, you know, you can't, you can't get up. You can't get up. And I said some choice words to him. I remember a curse word being in there. But when he saw what he thought was a chance, he broke loose from me and went at the guy. But the guy had complete control over the circumstances. Uh, again, he was up. Everybody in the restaurant was down. He had total control. And when he saw my dad coming, he just simply turned and, and shot him shot him in the chest. And my dad went down in the aisle, maybe seven, eight feet from me. Um, and as horrid as this may sound, I saw the wound and I basically wrote him off at that point. The good news was that it made the gunman change directions. Instead of coming directly toward me and my mom, he had to go around my dad. And so he stepped off to my left. And he continued around the room. And I remember that was the first time I got a good look at the guy. And he was he was about my age at that time, early 30s. And he was a decent looking guy. And he had this new truck. And I'm thinking, my God, what could possibly be so wrong in this guy's life? You know, the dumb things that go through your mind. I remember thinking, I would date this guy. What What is wrong with him? And um, right about that point, Somebody at the other end of the restaurant, the back of the restaurant, managed to break through one of those floor-to-ceiling windows, and I saw people getting out that way. We were kind of up in a corner where we were, we were essentially trapped. Um, when I saw people getting out that way, I peeked up over the top of the, the table, and when the guy's back was to me, I stood up and I grabbed my mother by the shirt collar. I said, come on, come on, we got to run, we got to get out of here. And my feet grew wings, man. I, I flew out that back broken window. Um, I actually ran into my manager friend, came out a side door, and he said, oh, my God, thank God you're okay. And I said, yeah, but Dad's been hit and it's bad. And I turned to say something to my mom and realized she hadn't followed me out. So long story short, um, everybody was going across the street to an apartment complex. Uh, I was one of the last people out of the, the restaurant. Um, and people over in the apartment complex were already calling 911. As it turns out, the cops were one building away in a hotel. Uh, they were in a, a little mini clinic, and in an odd twist of gun control fate, the manager of the hotel had asked them to leave their firearms. They were plainclothesmen, and she asked them to leave their firearms in their cars because she didn't want to offend any of the patrons. So they told me later that it, they, they wasted precious minutes while they had to retrieve their uh, guns from the trunks of their cars. They got over there. And by the way, a couple of these guys were patients of mine. So they gave me all the lowdown of this. They said that they got over there. They didn't know who the gunman was until they kind of worked their way in behind his pickup truck. And they said they saw, it was pandemonium at that point, They bodies everywhere. And they said they saw a woman on the floor, on her knees, cradling what was clearly a mortally wounded man. And they said they saw this 30-something-year-old young man walk up to her. They said she looked up at him. He put a gun to her head. She put her head down, and he pulled the trigger. 
They said that's how they knew who the bad guy was. And all they had to do was fire a shot into the ceiling. And this guy rabbited to a back bathroom alcove area, exchanged some gunfire with them, and then put a bullet in his own head. But that was that was my mom. And, uh, you know, it didn't occur to me as I was running. Um, she and my dad had been married uh, 47 years. They had just had their 47th wedding anniversary. She wasn't going anywhere without him. So 23 people were killed that day, and I was angry. And as you can tell when I talk about it, I, I still get pretty angry if I think about it. I'm angry at myself. I'm angry that I, I chose to obey an incredibly stupid law. And I wasn't the only one. There were other people in there with their guns out in their cars. You know, and um, I learned a valuable lesson that day. That seconds matter. Seconds matter. Yeah, there, there's a you lot. You know, of, the cops did the best they could. There, there's a lot of lessons, you know, to be had there. I, I've been in law enforcement. You know, listening to your story, I'm thinking as a cop, I've been in law enforcement for 19 years. I currently serve as a sergeant for, for my agency. Uh, I've been an officer involved shootings, having gone through what I went through as a, as a child, you know, at a school shooting where, you know, I lost several of my friends. I was shot twice, you know, and, and that one, you know, you realize when they say seconds matter, seconds matter. And you said something, you know, that, that stuck out. I was like, all we had to do was put a round in the, in the ceiling to make him coward, you know, and, and, and I've seen studying these shootings for years now, these guys are absolute cowards, you know, they're going after areas that are vulnerable. They're going into a restaurant. And like you said, at that time, it was illegal for people to carry, you know, concealed weapons and, you know, we've, we've had a long history of making it very, very hard for people to lawfully carry a firearm. And, and the only thing, you know, the conclusion that I came to is the only thing that's going to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. There's no laws that he didn't care about the laws. He has nothing to lose at that point. And I I would venture to say he went into that restaurant knowing that he was going to end it somehow. Right. And he was going to take as many people out with him. Yes. Yes. He was just a very, as many of them are, they're just very angry people and, and want to cause as much pain and, and want to rack up as high a body bag count as they possibly can. Yeah. Well, I, I am so sorry that you had to go through that, you know, and, and, you know, I've, I've read up, you know, on your story a little bit and, and I purposefully didn't, I wanted to get some basic details and I, and I, I've actually heard you speak before, um, you know, but I, I, hearing it in detail, hearing you share it with me today and with our, with our viewers today, man, I, I get choked up a little, you know, because I know that fear and I'm sorry that you had to to go through that. And I know that you lost, you know, two very close people, your parents, um, that day. And I, and I'm, and I'm so sorry. And I know that anger too, that that you're going through, Yes. you know, but I commend you for, for sharing your story, you know? Um, so how long, well, well, thank you. I've got to say, thank you for doing what you do because, because when you're talking about, children. You know, there were no children in our situation. And that's kind of a whole different ball of wax. You know, that's a whole different level of evil. Yeah, no, it it, it is. I mean, you know, the calls and and the the stories that I still struggle with to this day uh, involving my career have been the ones involving children. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a dad, you know, I have four kids of my own and, you know, school age children. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I hear of all these, you know, school shootings and stuff going on. And 
Every one of them, man, it, it cuts deep. It really does. It, it, it cuts mm-hmm. deep, you know, but I've always, you know, I've done several interviews over, you know, 30 years, 30 plus years now. Um, it's different for me being on this, this side, being the, you know, interviewer, you know, and I'm uh, glad you're doing it. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm glad I'm doing this too. And I'm glad that you're my, my first guest, you know, um, Thank you. this is uh it's an honor, you know, to, to talk with you, you know, so, wow. How, how long from start to finish, how long did this incident take? Um, about 15 minutes. Um, I can tell you that, you know, people said, oh, no, it wasn't that long. But I can I can tell you that, as I mentioned, I was one of the last, if not the last person over to the apartment complex across the street. I was able to walk upstairs into somebody's apartment. I, I got cut up in the glass. And so I was I was bleeding. And um, some people people had their windows open, everybody was milling about talking and, you know, you could still hear gunshots. Um, I was able to go upstairs, uh, clean, clean my elbow, clean where I was bleeding. And I was able to make two phone calls. Um, one of them was to my clinic and to tell them what was going on. And the other one was to my brother, but I got his voicemail and my sister-in-law told me, you know, you could still hear the gunshots in the background. And then I, I was able to walk back downstairs and go to where the police had set up a perimeter. And one of the cops right there was a patient of mine. And he was waving me back because they weren't sure that the scene was secure yet. So, I mean, you, you put all that together and I think it's about 15 minutes. And that's an eternity. That is an absolute It, it really is seconds you know when i say you know again seconds matter when you're when you're in a situation like that guys and gals i mean when you're feeling helpless and you know a, a, a 30 second incident it feels like it lasts an hour i can't imagine 15 minutes you know my my shooting was over in about three minutes and you know 30 people were, were injured five kids were killed and the gunman was dead as the cops were getting on scene you know and you know, you mentioned the cops being next door. I, and I, I think about that because I've had people, you know, say, hey, w- we want to invite the police department over to this meeting. And, you know, would you would you mind not carrying your guns? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, we're going to we're, I don't go anywhere without this thing. You know, it's like, yes, yes, I would mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and that's what's not going to happen. And so, man, I, you know, and I feel like we go in waves in society you know, where people, you know, they demonize firearms and, you know, they, oh, it's, it's scary. And the cops are scary. And we're kind of going through that now. So I'm kind of relating, you know, to you talking and, 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 yeah. and what that request was, you know, and I can see that happening now, even with all these <laughs> shootings going on. It's just like, I, I don't get people you know, thinking. Rob, I think a lot of it is women. And I hate to say it, but you know, we don't like things that are loud and that we don't like killing Bambi, generally speaking. I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing hugely here. But, you know, we're, we are the, the softer sex. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's fair to say most women I know don't like, they don't like chainsaws, you know, <laughs> but, but they, but they like firewood. chainsaws as a tool. Exactly. They recognize that, ch- that chainsaw as a tool that can help the, that can, as long as it's in somebody else's hands, you know, um, the, the firearm thing, I think, especially with all these school shootings, there's just an overwhelming need to, and you and I have both heard this a million times, to do something. And I hate that phrase because it scares me to death because do something means, well, we might, we're probably not going to do anything that's worthwhile and we're going to take your rights away, but we'll at least have done something, right? Um, it's, that, it's that need to do something and they don't know what else to do. Now, I think, I think we are starting to formulate some ideas now of other avenues, but I think that's where it comes from. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of these people, they come out of good intentions, you know, yeah. just, just with no real experience. And, 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 you know, dealing with legislators for, for many years and no offense, you know, a lot of these people. Sorry. Yeah. A lot of these people come <laughs> in and, and they, they're writing laws on things that they don't understand. You know, we, right. years back, um, I was part of a whole gun in California, you know, and where the governor at the time and, and, you know, it was Jerry Brown and a lot of the legislators, you know, uh, Kevin DeLeon was, you know, they, this is a ghost gun. And, you know, and I was there during the, a lot of those hearings and he had no, idea what he was talking about. And he and I actually exchanged words in, in the halls at the state capitol. I was like, you know, because I testified in those hearings. And he, you know, guys like him, they, they're, they're writing laws and they're introducing these bills and they, they have no experience on, on what they're writing. And that's my biggest problem with, with some of these lawmakers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're and, and not even just lawmakers, just people basing their opinions off emotion. Of and it's it's fed by the media. I, I can tell you that, well, I don't know how many times in my life I've had a reporter uh, say something about, well, surely you don't think people should have semi-automatic weapons. And I have to stop them and say, wait a minute, what do you think a semi-automatic weapon is? And, of course, what they think it is is a machine gun. And and these are reporters. These are the people that are educating the rest of the populace. And I, I and some of these people are very well educated people. I um, my my son had a friend, uh, an attorney friend in California, and she was saying that on Facebook. Well, to my son, Ethan, surely you don't think people should. I'm not trying to take your guns, but surely you don't think people should have semi-automatics. And so I had to chime in and say, I, I think there's a problem here. And I explained to her the difference. And I said, so if you want semi-automatic guns gone, you are, in fact, wanting to take my guns. And every other woman that I know that carries, because they all carry semi-automatic. Right. Yeah, they, they, they throw out the terms. You know, we talk about AR-15s and AK-47s, you know, it's a weapon of mass destruction and it's military yeah. weapons. And like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. You know, I tell people I can go out and buy a Toyota Camry. It doesn't mean I can get into NASCAR and, and race it. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to do very well, you know, even though they're driving Camrys and Ford Fusions, you know. And, and so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, again, it's that lack of knowledge. And, you know, really yeah. the, the whole purpose of me starting this The Voice of Reason podcast, you know, I, 
I want to bring on some people and actually have this growing up conversation with some folks, you know, and let's talk about this. Let's talk about the, the misinformation that's rolling out there with a lot of these media groups and these terms that have been introduced and, you know, these, you know, yeah, like you said, semi-automatics that this, this mindset that that's a machine gun, you know, I, I hear people mm-hmm. talk about it's a fully semi-automatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's think about that. that. Let's too. dissect like, that term real quick. And, you know, and so I've taken. They, they, they don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I'm quick to bite my lip because I get it. I, I do get it. And and you said, but, you know. But it is frustrating. It's very frustrating. And I laugh, you know, and they're like, wow, you think this is funny? I said, no, the, the incident we're talking about isn't funny. And I'll never laugh at somebody getting hurt. But I laugh at, no. at your lack of knowledge and you thinking that you know what you're talking about. Because, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you need to have some thick skin and put some people in <laughs> in, in their place, too, and, and, and stand up and say, no, this isn't right. And, you know, I've had the opportunity over years to take people to the range and let them shoot AR-15s and Glocks and, you know, different type of firearms and and get them over that fear and they've changed their tune real fast you know and and i think it does yeah i'm trying not to get offended real fast you know well i yeah but i would encourage you to anytime you give an interview um i mean you're doing the interview but but if you do if you're giving the interview and they and that whole silly semi-automatic thing comes up. Ask them what they think it is, and I promise you, yeah, they think it's a, a machine gun, and they and they think that AR-15s. Well, no one needs an AR-15, and it's like you realize they're not even as powerful as that that uh, nine millimeter handgun right there. And of course, they don't know. That. It's a glorified twenty-two. <laughs> it really is, you know, and I mean, but they don't know that. Yeah, it's 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 no ugly. more it's no it's more deadly gun. than yeah, it's no more deadly than a you know any other gun. Yeah, so let's talk about this. So you spent ten years in legislature. Twelve, yes, yeah. How did that come about? It. How did you get involved in that? If you mind me asking. No, um, so. When the incident happened, I, in speaking with my brother and sister and in-laws, um, we realized that, you know, the reporters have to report. And if you're not willing to speak to them, then it's hard to be mad at them for saying the wrong things. So we opted to go ahead and talk to the press. And I think they were all a little shocked when I didn't blame the gun, that I made the comment, I think the day after the incident, I said, I said I was angry at my legislators because I felt they have legislated me out of the right to protect myself and my family. And I was, I was angry. I was angry at myself. You know, I told you that I, I was really angry at myself, but having said that they quoted me on that. And I think it surprised a lot of people that I felt that way. And, um, you know, that I didn't immediately call for gun control and, um, So over the next few years, people started asking me to run for office. In the state of Texas, uh, it doesn't pay. And I wasn't in a financial position to walk away from my chiropractic clinic and and do it. Um, I mean, it pays, but it's like $7,000 a year. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, and they say it's a part-time job, but it's not. It's full-time. Anyway, so uh, I think people started asking me because they hoped 
I felt as strongly about the rest of our rights as I did about the Second Amendment, which I do. I told you I was I was raised with that stuff. So um, when we got to a place where I felt like I could do it financially, I did and and mostly enjoyed it. Sort of. <laughs> mostly enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and you, it's not for the faint of heart, and you got to have a thick skin for sure. So how long after this incident did you get into office? Um, the incident was October of 91, and I entered office in November of 96. All right. Yeah. And so I guess how much, how much time did you really focus on? Um, as a as a lawmaker, you know, on gun rights? Well, that's an interesting question because um, I actually went in and, and I did file bills, but I wanted to be careful because I it was very easy for somebody to tag me as a one-issue candidate. So what I ended up doing was um, having a, several bills drawn up and but then giving them to other legislators and helping them. So I would join author of the bills, but I wouldn't be the lead author for that very reason. So uh, now having said that, I still, there were a handful over the years that I said, no, this one's mine. Uh, for instance, they had, um, um, they, the cities, the municipalities wanted the right to be able to say, okay, you've got concealed carry now, but you can't have it in our town. So it was called the preemption bill. And so uh, I passed that and said, no, it's, this is a state law. You know, you can carry it in any city, any municipality, any, any County in the state. So some things like that. Good for you. Wow. I I actually tried to pass the, back then we called it Vermont style carry. Vermont has Now, now, of course, they have some very open uh, gun laws there, you know. Now it's called uh, constitutional carry, but I, I tried to pass. I say I tried to pass. I filed and asked for a hearing for Vermont-style carry back in uh, early 2000s, knowing that it wasn't going to pass, but I wanted to begin educating some of the legislators, you know, that, that this does exist somewhere and are – you know, if they were against it, I could say, well, are you somehow insinuating that your constituents are inherently more violent or untrustworthy than the people of Vermont? You know, so it was it was fun. It was fun. And you start the process. Some things take a while. Yeah. Good for you. No, seriously, I, I, I commend you for, you know, you, you said it. You. People need to get involved and they feel like they need to get involved. And you got involved and at it, probably the detriment to your own business and, you know, your family oh, yeah. life. And I can only imagine, you know, I've spent some time in the, in the halls at the Capitol and, and I spent a few days out in D.C. Uh, working with Gun Owners of America uh, several years back. Great, great group. Yeah. Eric, Eric Pratt. I, I love that guy, you know, yeah. and his dad yeah. and Larry and, uh, you know, yeah. great, great folks that I s- still keep in contact with. I went out there after Sandy Hook and um, got to share my story uh, on Capitol Hill. And that was that opened my eyes big time, you know, to really how this whole process works and, um, you know, spent some time with gun owners of California and working with Sam Paredes and, you know, testifying and at Senate uh, committee hearings there in California. And man, it's, it's frustrating sometimes, you know, but, uh, getting, getting, you know, getting interrupted at, 
you know, minute and 53 seconds just so they could tell me that I had a two minute window, you know, and, and then not let me finish because time was up. And I'm like, you, in, you interrupted me and I had two more sentences, you know, let me talk. But yeah. It's, um, it is eye opening for people. I do encourage people to get involved. Um, and I encourage voters to realize that nobody gets to be dictator. You know, I, I was one of 150 representatives and then we have 31 senators, you know, they, nobody lets you be dictator. Everything is a compromise. I mean, for Pete's sake, the founding of our country was a compromise. Um, so you have to be, you have to work for little victories, sometimes big victories, and I always think of it as just move continuously moving the bar in the right direction. Yeah. So I had some questions uh, that I wrote down and, and um, you know, it's a general questions and we may, I don't want to repeat ourselves or anything, but um, you know, obviously this incident cost you and your family dearly. Um, again, my condolences. Yes. Uh, so sorry you had to endure any of that, but how would you, how would you say this incident changed you and your way of thinking towards modern day gun control? And, and, you know, you, you answered it a little bit, but, um, let's dive into that a little bit. You know, how, how would you say it, it really changed your, your mindset? You know, again, having been raised in a household that understood the second amendment, even though we didn't really have guns in the house, we weren't hunters. Um, it obviously, drove the concept home in a very personal way. And now it's, um, no, you know, it's a shame because you kind of touched on this earlier. It would be nice if everybody made their decisions based on logic. They don't (laughs) newsflash. They don't. Um, so I think it's really important to have stories like yours and stories like mine people that that have stories like that that are willing to share them um, because the other side automatically looks for the victims that are that want to just outlaw guns so I, th- I think it's really important that people like us speak up and, and say no it was it's not the guns it's not the guns are a tool they're a hunk of metal they're you know they're a tool that can be used to kill a family or, or a tool that can be used to protect a family so I guess the short answer to your question is when I see people wanting to enact gun control, I take it much more personally now. Yeah, I do too. I, I share that. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny is a lot of people that have been in our shoes really do share that. And it's the outside people that are, that are really, you know, um, introducing these things and screaming out, you know, we need to ban guns and, and, you know, instead of focusing on what we really need to focus on and, and how about we start enforcing the laws that we have on the books even better, you know? And I know like here in my state, man, we're having a lot of issues, you know, with fighting crime and keeping criminals behind bars and people that stray away from the laws that are meant to protect people. And, but then they go, they go after, you know, doctors and lawyers and, you know, blue collar workers for, 
you know, having a, a an AR-15 that doesn't have a bullet button or a, some fin grip or something on it, you know, here in our state and putting these guys away. But yet we let these gangsters out that have been arrested 15 times and because we need to shrink down the population in the in the prisons here. And, and it's just, it's like, wow, what, what are we doing? You know, is it really that important? There's, there's no logic there at all. None. It's not. And that's what we have to fix. And again, you know, that's what I've dedicated my life to is just getting the education out there and talking with everybody that will talk to me, you know, so I can hopefully uh, inspire that thought and inspire that, the, that real change, this, the real change that needs to happen. Right. So again, another question. Um, so many people who survived shootings um, or so many people that survived the shooting where I was injured have chosen not to talk about it. Many have joined the Brady campaigns and other groups in order to try to ban certain certain weapon platforms. I believe this is how they chose to cope. If I may ask you, what did or what does your healing process look like? Um, like I said, I think for me, the dominant emotion was and still is anger. Uh, anger at the legislators, as I mentioned, because I felt like that it was their laws that kept me from being able to protect myself and my family. Uh, anger at myself for having chosen to um, follow a bad law. Because let's face it, if you need a gun, it's generally because your life is in danger, right? Um, I... Ask me the ask me the question again. I think I got kind of sidetracked on that. Like for me, um, talking about the shooting a lot over the years has really helped me, and not not holding it in and reaching out to people. Oh, oh yeah, you know, like that that was part of my healing process. And I have so many people that survived the Cleveland Elementary School shooting that won't talk about it to this day, you know? And, and, you know, I, I had a friend who was severely wounded in that incident and took several surgeries and we were in first grade at the time uh, when it happened. And his last surgery was our junior year in high school. And to this wow. day, he doesn't like talking about it. You know, he's kind of reclusive about it. Um, you know, the, the principal at our school that day, I still keep in touch with her and I love her dearly. Uh, she's, she's an amazing woman, uh, has a huge heart, but she's done maybe one interview, you know, and, and 30 plus years. And, uh, she just doesn't like talking about it, you know, but for me talking about it, doing the interviews, um, sharing my story as, as much as I can. It's cathartic. It is, it is. And it's kind of released that pressure valve. So yeah, I guess my question to you is, you know, how, what, what was it that, that got you to this point and, and, and help keep you going? You know, was it sharing it? Was it counseling? Was it? No, I, you know, I, for, for me, I, I was fortunate because I had good friends and family and so the professional counseling for me wasn't, uh, I, I never felt a need for it only because I was fortunate and had, I had plenty of counselors. They just weren't professionals. You know what I mean? Um, I do think, like you said, that is a pressure release valve, uh, being able to talk about it because you, I think you and I have both made a difference 
we, you and I will never know how much difference we make because that ripple effect, I mean, goes so far out, we'll, we'll never know. But I think that hope and that desire that you are making a, some sort of difference helps m- make you feel like, like okay, there, there was a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason I survived, right? Um, I, I'll tell you for me, too. I had so many people for years asking me to write a book and I'm not Ernest Hemingway, you know, but I finally sat down after I stepped out of the legislature, I finally sat down and wrote a book and that shocked me how hard that was, Rob. I I can tell you that really surprised me because, you know, talking about it, you're not going into the same detail that you do if you ever sit down and write about it. You, you're trying to flesh out all the details that you can recall. And that was emotionally a lot harder than I expected it to be. I mean, yeah, it was a lot. It was really hard. And it didn't leave me feeling good at the end of the day. But I'll tell you this. I'm thrilled to death that it's done. It's out there. It's been out there now for pushing 10 years. And if I die tomorrow, at least people will know that's my version of what happened. So, you know, they can misquote me and you know how that is just misquotes all over the internet, but, but at least that my version is out there in my words. So that was, that encourages me because my wife who's sitting in the room, she's listening in on this and, um, she's been getting on me for a couple years and, uh, just saying, Hey, you need to get this book done and you need to write it. And I, and I have started it and I have, you know, pages, it's not very much, but it's emotional. I didn't realize how, how it was going to make me feel. And I sit there and I remember the last time I sat, just, it's been a few weeks now, but I sat and, you know, I have a lot of downtime. We have four kids, right. And uh, jobs and everything else and chores and find a free time. Just it's hard. But the last time I sat down to write, I was exhausted after and, yeah. and I was like, man, this is hard. This is a lot harder than I could have ever imagined. And I've talked about, yes. I've talked about my story for years, you know, and it's, it's, di- it's different when you talk about your story. It, I suspect you're like me in that when I tell my story, I'm not reliving it. I'm just telling the story. I'm not, I'm not reliving it. But when you can sit down to write it, like I said, there you're having to go into detail and you're kind of reliving it. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. One of the, um, you know, I, I'm a believer. I have my faith that has gotten me through. And, you know, I like to share a scripture and it's a life verse that, that I carry. And it's Romans eight twenty eight, And it says, all things work together for the good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And, you know, the way I read that scripture, it, it says, you know, all things work together for the good. It doesn't say all things are good. Right. And that's life. Yeah. You know, and I like to think that you and I and people that have been through similar situations that are out there making a difference have went through something very horrible that we're able to use to relate to people, you know, and really connect with others. And, you know, again, I, I commend you for everything you've done and continue to do, you know, um, because you went through a very horrific thing that there was some good that came of that, too. You know, and, and I know it paved a way for for you professionally. It paved a way for you to reach out and, and maybe change some people's thoughts that maybe 
Hope, right? Right, we can hope. And like you said, you'll never know, right? You'll never know the true value in that. So, you know, good on you. Uh, Rob, I can tell you that, I mean, I get sick of doing this kind of stuff. (laughs) My apologies. (laughs) But what keeps me doing it is that every so often, some stranger will come up to me and say, Hey, let me tell you a story. I heard your testimony. I saw it on YouTube and um, I didn't used to carry and that made me start carrying. And this is what happened. You know, they'll, they'll launch into a story and, and it, it, you find out that by golly, sometimes it does make a difference or the fact that the law was changed. You, you made a difference in somebody's life. And uh, I'm sure there are stories out there for you as well you'll never hear. So it, they're out. And maybe that person, you know, stops another mass shooting, you know, and who's to to say, right. If it saves one life, it's all worth it. Yeah. That's what I say. If it saves one person, it's worth it. You know? So let's see. What advice would you give to someone who, who also may have gone through something traumatic like gun violence um, how do you typically respond to the survivors who blame the gun? Again, I, I think we're kind of maybe repeating just a little bit, but how do you how do you typically respond? You know, because I want to give our viewers, you know, some some tools, maybe maybe somebody who relates to us, you know, relates to you and your story, you know, and they're like, how do yeah. how do I respond to these folks? And I'm just trying to give them some some tools, and some insight really to. Well, at the risk of my repeating myself, um, what I said before still stands. Uh, I, I tell them a, a gun is, it's a tool. It's, I, you know, if it's a woman in particular, I tell them, I get it. I, I get it. I don't like, I'm not crazy about guns. I don't, I don't like guns. I have no love for guns. To me, it's a hunk of metal and it's a hunk of metal that yes, it can be used to kill a family, but it can also be used to protect a family. And, and what I, what I tell them, and in fact, I've, when I've testified many, many times, I've tried to, at the, in the end, I try to find a couple of people in the committee that, that have grandchildren or are likely to have grandchildren. And I say, now imagine when you leave here, you and your friends, you go out and you're, you're going to go have lunch at the local cafeteria down the road. And you're just going to, oh, and, and your grandkids are coming over. They're going to meet you and you haven't seen them in a few days. And, you know, how wonderful is that? And I kind of take them through the process of trying to mentally put them in that place. And then I say, now, now imagine this guy coming in. And again, you got to drag the story out a little bit. I won't do that here. But imagine this guy coming in and he starts shooting. And I say, as it comes around the room, as he levels his weapon on your two-year-old grandson's forehead, even if you've chosen not to have a gun at that point, don't you hope the guy behind you has one and knows how to use it? And I'll, I'll generally stop my testimony there and let him think about it. I, I've done similar things in, in some uh, hearings that, you know, I've got to share and and conferences and stuff that I spoke at, you know, and, and, uh, I'll sit there, you know, and I tell my story and it's pretty compelling. And, uh, you know, I say, 
my incident was done in three minutes. And then I talk about the average police response times in America, you know, and the average yeah. 911 call and the average response time is around, you know, four minutes, right? Well, what can happen in four minutes? And then I'll start the timer and I'll just do one minute and I'll start clapping, you know, and I'll clap. Every time I clap, it's a gunshot, right? That's your granddaughter. Wow. That's your, that's your, that's yeah. your neighbor. That's the person sitting next to you. And I'll clap again. And you see the emotion. There's some, I've, I've had people in my audiences that, that have actually started crying. Yeah. You know, yeah. their lips start yeah. quivering. Yeah, that is powerful. You know, and I, I said, you know, this is 30 seconds. And let's think about this. So you want to rely on the police. And, and by all means, let us do our job once we get on scene. But you may need to hold the fort down until we get there. Right. And a lot can happen when they say, well, OK, well, we have school resource officers Let's talk about school shootings. We have school resource officers on a campus. OK, well, I've worked on a campus in the Bay Area that was 64 and a half acres and I was the only SRO that was on on campus. What if the gunman comes in at corner X and I'm at corner C and I have to hoof it on foot? Right. With my pistol, my sidearm, you know. Or what if he knows who you are and takes you out first? God forbid. That's what I would do I, if I were looking to rack up that body bag count. God forbid. But yeah, it, you know, and there, there's no absolutes. There's no, you know, I, I did a podcast, you know, with a friend of mine, you know, several weeks back. And we talked about there's no absolutes in these, you know, when they asked me, you know, what do you think is a solution? Right. Well, yeah, we need to make guns more available. There are several people, you know, who work in our school systems who are teachers or, you know, like in your incident, you know, yeah. a, a cook or, you know, a, anybody, you know, a janitor, you know, who yeah. has experience with firearms, whether whether it's the military or law enforcement or they grew up as, you know, a hunter or just grew up on a farm. I, I, I want my teachers to be able to protect themselves. Yeah. They, they need yes. to. You know, they, they, they are. I, I tell a story all the time. A friend of mine that, you know, retired as a as a sergeant with our local sheriff's office, 28 years, and then was a uh, an investigator with the DA's office for five years. And then went over to the school district PD for a few years as a sergeant and got out of law enforcement, 30 plus year career. And he went into public schools as a as a substitute teacher and he couldn't carry his gun. But yet it's six stupid. six it's months before stupid. that, he was expected to when somebody called yeah. 911. This is the same person, you know. So, yeah, I'm not saying, you know, get a teacher credential or, you know, here's a Glock and go go teach our kids. But there's plenty of people that can do it, you know. Well, and hopefully and, and they're there, you know, when 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 stuff happens, right. you know, and. And we're not expecting. Well, so so my my sister was a teacher up until she uh, retired in December. Couldn't wait to get out. Um, and she was a brilliant teacher. But I, what I would always ask is, why is it that she can carry a gun and we trust her as a state? We trust her across the street in the Walmart where there are women pushing baby carriages around. There's, you know, 100 people in there, little kids everywhere. We, we, we trust her there. But for some reason, the minute she crosses the street and goes into her school, all of a sudden now we don't trust her. You know, there's there isn't any logic to that. And we all know that that these guys that do this sort of thing, they go to places where guns aren't allowed. I mean, that's just such a no brainer. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
and you guys have you guys have had your share of, of shootings there in Texas. I know you're not too far from oh Uvalde. You're you're right near Fort Hood. Yeah, I mean these things happen, right? And I think they're going to continue to happen. You know, we did a study, you know, that active killers, you know, um, it's been going on since the 1700s. There's document cases, you know, not with firearms, but with swords and rocks. And, you know, there was attacks on children and, you know, for hundreds of years, you know, and we're never going to be able to legislate evil out of existence. It's just, it's a reality that we all need to come into conclusion with. And, And so, you know, I say to myself, how much more important is it for us to train and be ready and be equipped? And like you said, it's a hunk of metal. When you're talking about firearms and guns aren't necessarily the answer either. You know, I carry a gun, not because I want to play super cop, but I want to be able to protect my family and it's a tool. Yeah. Gun- and, and it's, and it's not a guarantee. It's, you know, let's face it. If, if somebody wanted to come in and kill their estranged wife and the person sitting next to you, you know, if I happen to be the person sitting next to them, I mean, I, I'm done. I, it's over. But what gun law is going to stop a criminal? I mean, really, like, the criminals don't care about our laws anyway, right? So really, right. if we pass right. the strictest gun control measures, is it going to make guns disappear? No, it's not. Of course not. It's not. So, you know, let's get away with all that foolishness and let's move on and say, okay, then what do we need to do? We need to equip our people. Mm. We need to make it easier yes. for our folks to receive training. And I, and I, adamantly i'm adamant about if you're going to carry a gun you better know how to use it right because you're responsible for every bullet that comes out of that you know you need to know your backdrop you own every bullet coming out of your gun and if you don't know how to operate it and i see it all the time even with cops that the only time they ever shoot their gun is when they qualify once a year well that's not enough yeah you know if you're carrying a firearm you need to be training you need to be at the range regularly it's an investment that can save your life or somebody else's and stopping the threat when, when the time calls for it, you know? Yes. yes. So what are you, uh, what, what does your life look like nowadays? What are, what are you up to? Um, well, as I mentioned, I've, I'm working for the Texas attorney general as a special executive advisor. And, uh, I play a lot with my Arabian horses. Um, and I do some, some book signing and that sort of thing. Um, uh, I will tell you this, my, my husband is a forensic psychologist, and he has been saying for years that there are things that we can do to catch some of these guys before they actually do their dirty deeds. He said, you know, you're not going to catch all of them, but he said, I think we could easily prevent 80 to 90 percent. And so, because most of these people have left signs, you know, you'll, you'll hear the, the stories of, well, yeah, you know, we, yeah, or, or they'll, they'll send them to the school counselor and they get a risk assessment, you know, a little 15 minute check off the box thing. Those are worthless. Um, but if they are flagged, they, you can pull in a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It, ha, or it has to be at the very least a master's level that's capable of doing what's called a threat assessment. That's different than a risk assessment. It takes a couple of hours. And those, he is, he's absolutely convinced you would catch 80, 80 to 90% of those guys before they do it. And you could then go in and have them adjudicated in a way that that you could take their guns. That's different than these red flag laws where anybody can say, oh, you know, he scared me. That's that's a whole different deal. I don't agree with those at all. 
but this would be step-by-step -step and yes, exactly, exactly. And there should be a process when you're talking about stripping somebody of their of their constitutional rights. Absolutely. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I hear that all the time. You know, people ask me, you know, Rob, do you, do you think that everybody should be able to carry a gun? No, not everybody. There's there's people that have proven themselves to be a danger to society. If they can vote, then they should be able to carry. I, I agree. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. And and maybe I'll get your husband on on the, the podcast. I'd love to, to pick his brain and hear his thoughts probably, on this. You could probably do that. Yeah, no, that'd be yeah, great. We're, yeah, we're we're working on uh revamping. We're we're probably gonna revamp my book and have a second part and he's looking at writing one. There there are ways of doing it and, and we could make a difference. Yeah, the, the name of your book is my book is called From Lubies, it's a long title, I'm sorry. It's From Lubies to the Legislature, One Woman's Fight Against Gun Control. If you type in From Lubies to the Legislature, um, and we're actually getting ready to do a, another reprinting of it. We're kind of in the process of determining, do we do that or do we revise it now? So there's some still out there. Is it on Amazon? I think, I think you can still get it on Amazon. To be honest with you, we've, we've sold about 10,000 copies. Um, and there were literally almost at the end of how many were printed according to the publisher. So, so we're making some determinations on that now, but I'd be happy to send you a copy if you oh, like. I'd love to. Absolutely. And, and I definitely want to exchange, you know, contact information with you and, and stay, stay in touch, you know, and Thank if there's anything I can you. ever do for you, um, you know, let me know. And, you know, I, I've, I've, I'm encouraged just by talking with you and, and, and feel a, a lot more motivated too. you know, to get back in finishing my book and, oh, that's and awesome. just keep doing this stuff, you know, and because again, you know, you've been given a voice, I've been given a voice. And I think it's a shame when people keep that to themselves, right? I don't know it all, mm -hmm. but I have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. And, you know, I'm, I'm a constant student. I like to, you know, learn and, and stay open to, to different viewpoints. And, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm all ears, but, um, well, this is not the end for, for you and I, you know, and, and I appreciate you. And again, you know, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know you more and, you know, hopefully I make it out to Texas to see some family and I would love to meet you in person. And, you know, thank you again for, for coming on, you know, uh, my podcast and being my, my number one, you know, you're my number one. Yes. So um, we're, we're hopefully going to. Rob, thank you. In all seriousness, thank you for what you're doing, because because you you just you don't know who you're going to reach out there and what kind of a difference that might make. You're you're never going to know. Maybe when we die and we're sitting in judgment, then then maybe we'll find out then. But we'll never know. So you're doing the right thing. And that's what's important. Any any last closing remarks that uh, you would have for our viewers? Um, I would say again, that uh, a gun is not a guarantee, but it changes the odds. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up. And uh, again, thank, thank you. you. All right. <laughs>